And just to catch you up with where, where we have uh, been in, in John 14, we see Jesus uh, talking about hope for troubled hearts. He's speaking to his disciples and by extension speaking to us as well. Uh, that being the case, he, he went through various things that would uh, cause them to not have to have troubled hearts in the middle of the trouble that they were about to experience. They were already feeling it. They, they had been told by Jesus, I, I'm going away and you can't come with me. They had heard that one of them was going to betray him. They had uh, heard that, that one would deny him. And so they, they wanted to be with Jesus. And so he speaks to their hearts. After uh, that discourse there in that room, uh, chapter 14 ends with him uh, saying, let's arise, let's go from this place. Now he is uh, about to uh, talk about the vine and the branches. What would prompt that? Well, some feel that it, it might have been because they were headed toward the Garden of Gethsemane. In order to, to get there, they would go where they would be able to see the temple. Now, uh, on the, the gate of the, the holiest place, there was a vine with fruit on it and it was covered in gold over the entryway. According to Josephus, who was a, a historian, uh, he, he said that some of the grape clusters were the size of a man. So you can, you can get the picture that, that perhaps that was in, in the background when Jesus spoke to that. That might have been the case. It, it also might have been the case that he stopped and pointed to a vine. There might have been a vine across the window because there are vines everywhere in Jerusalem. So it's hard to say. And in some ways it doesn't really matter except for this. Those that were listening understood the significance of talking about the vine. You see, the, the vine uh, was the well-known representation of Israel. It was considered their symbol in, uh, throughout the Old Testament. Here's what it says in Psalm 80. Uh, you brought a vine out of Egypt. And of course, that's God's people coming out of Egypt. Vine holy of pure seed, how then have you turned degenerate and become a wild uh, vine? That's Jeremiah, actually. The, the Psalm 80 says, you brought a vine out of Egypt, you drove out the nations and planted it. You cleared the ground for it. It took deep root and filled the land. So that was the desire for God's people was for them to, to take deep root and to, and to bear much good fruit. 
That's what he wanted from his people Israel. And yet again and again, throughout the Old Testament, as it's described, they, they turned and they turned degenerate and became a wild vine. They went after other gods. And so it's in that context with them very well knowing uh, he's, he's, he's talking about Israel when he talks about the vine. And then he says this, which changes everything. He says, I am the true vine, chapter 15. And my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does not bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You're the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's bow together. Lord, will you uh, help us now in these few minutes to, to focus upon you. We are so conscious because of things going on in our country and in our world. We are so conscious of living in a fallen world. And Lord, as believers in Christ... We must pray for those who are grieving in, in Pittsburgh and in so many other places because of the loss there and because of the evil that we have seen. We pray for your comfort for them, that they would know it is you, that the Christian community would reach out there to the Jewish community. And in that, there would be hope. And now, Lord, we, we too, many of us have come here with troubled hearts. And so we need to hear the message that you gave to your disciples, that you give to us. And so will you cause your spirit to teach us? We pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. So as we, uh, as we go through this, 
The first thing I, I want us to see is here we, we have him talking about the work of the Son and the Father. He says, I am the true vine. So you see the, the shift in their mind that had to take place immediately. Israel is the vine. Jesus says, I am the true vine. Now, this is the seventh and last of his I am statements. We've talked about all of them. They're all recorded in John. Uh, what's different about this one, though, is that it's not just a, a statement that, that kind of stands by itself, of course, always with a context, always with something else going on, usually a miracle also taking place. But an I am statement is always a place where he is claiming he is God, he's one with the Father, and that's the case here as well. But what's different about this one is that it, he then takes it into an extended metaphor, an extended illustration. And he's going he's gonna to keep talking about uh, the vine and uh, the, the vine dresser and uh, about being connected. Now, I'm going to change it a little bit because uh, the, the, the word, I'm not changing the word of God. Don't get me wrong here. Uh, but, but instead of vine dresser, I'm going to, for our context, I'm going I'm to call him the master gardener. Does that make more sense? We don't really use the term uh, uh, vine dresser, but, but I think that gives us the idea. So uh, in terms of the father, God the father, he, he's the master gardener. One commentator said this, he, meaning the master gardener, does not allot to others the task of caring for the vine and the branches. And this assures us of the wildest, most tender and most faithful care of it. You get what he's saying? He's saying, yeah, he's the master gardener and that means he's taking care of us and he's the one that is in control of of salvation so let's look at uh, what this metaphor says about uh, the believers relationship to Christ look down in verse 4 we're going to kind of skip back and forth but all in this same passage uh, verse 4 says abide in me and I in you as the branch uh, uh, cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. So there he's talking about uh, true believers. He's talking about uh, salvation. So, so what is abiding? Well, that's talking uh, about a, a true relationship with Christ. A personal relationship relationship with Christ. It's the closest possible contact with Christ. It's moment by moment, these are all different descriptions people have given, moment by moment dependence upon him. It is close, constant communion with him. And so 
here's the thing. When we, when we talk about abiding, it's not just connecting with him on Sunday. If, if the only time you think about his word, if the only time you really pray, if the only time you ever look into his word, if the only time you ever connect with God is Sunday, then you're just simply not abiding according to what the nature of that word is. And we're going to see why that's so important, that it not just be a, a Sunday thing or an occasional thing, but it be that, that close, constant communion, that real connection, not once in a while, but all the time. Let, let me show you some of the benefits from that relationship for those who do abide in him the first one and and i gotta you know i'll tell you right up front as soon as i say this you're gonna think oh wait a minute that that's a positive thing the first one uh in terms of a benefit for that relationship is pruning okay doesn't that sound great Aren't you happy that, that you're in him so you get to be pruned? Well, let me explain, and then maybe, maybe we can see why, why that is a positive thing. Verse 2, every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. So he's about to define and, and say, look, if you bear fruit, that's evidence that you're really a branch and that you're connected to uh, the vine. So it's a, it's a real believer that he's talking about. He indicates there's fruit. So what, if he, what he's saying is that if, if you're a real believer, then you can expect to be pruned. Now, those of you that are gardeners... You don't even have to be a master gardener to know this. You know, have you ever pruned your tree or your uh, grapevine and thought, I wonder if they got feelings. I, I, I wonder if they can feel this. Because you know what can happen is that, that you, can, you can prune things, and I'm not an expert in this, but you can prune things and... Right after it's pruned, when you look at it, it's like, it doesn't look that well right now, you know? It, it doesn't look that happy. It's, it, I hope it comes back. You know, this is going to be embarrassing in my neighborhood if this, if this doesn't come back. And uh, so he, he extends this metaphor for a tree or a plant to bear the most fruit, it has to be pruned. If you have had grapes or a fruit tree, you know that's the case. And, and what are you pruning? You're pruning back that which will keep it from growing or producing the most and best fruit. That's what should be being cut back when you have a, a fruit tree 
or a vine. So what's it mean for believers? You know, he's talking, here's the metaphor, and then it applies to us. Well, here's what some other scriptures say about that. Hebrews 12, 10 says, He disciplines us, talking about believers, for our good, that we may share in his holiness. It had already said in that passage that, that he disciplines the, one that he, the ones that he loves. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. So there you see discipline in conjunction with this wonderful fruit of righteousness that comes because of discipline. And that's a, that would be another word for pruning, same idea. 1 Peter 1 says this, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it's tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. There it's saying, look, this, this proves your faith. It strengthens it defines, and it, there, the reward will be in the, in, in the coming of Christ. James 1, verse 2, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Now look, I get it. We want to learn all the lessons without the pruning. We want to learn all the lessons without the discipline. But that's usually not the case. And in my ministry, as I've seen people go through some very unbelievably difficult things, for those that are true believers, how often they come back and they are strong and they are bearing fruit because of what they've been through. And that's what he's talking about here. Now this is closely related to, a, to a, a, another benefit. And if you're looking at the outline, I wrote in there, sanctification it says, verse 3, already you are clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. So let's do a little theology here. Uh, that's why I threw in the word sanctification. So sanctification is the process of becoming more and more like Jesus. You get it? And it is a process. So sanctification has a, a couple of phases You've got uh, one where the scripture will say, you are sanctified in Christ. Boom, this takes place. That's at justification, when, when he declares us righteous. Now, at that point, we make a definite break with sin. 
We are no longer slaves to sin. We don't have to sin any longer. But then sanctification that we usually think of is from that point until we die or Christ comes back and it's the process of becoming more and more like Jesus throughout our life. If you're a true believer, it will last throughout your life. You don't immediately come, become uh, exactly like Jesus. So that's the idea. And by the way, just for your encouragement, sanctification, you know, if, if this is Jesus here, it, the line doesn't go like this, okay? It kind of goes like this. Okay. In other words, there are times where you can, you can tell you're growing in Christ. And there are other times where it, it maybe doesn't feel like you're growing that much in Christ. But if you notice the way I'm making this line, even when it seems like it's flat, we're getting closer to Jesus. And eventually, he'll take care of the gap there. He will do it in our lives. So that's the idea um, of uh, this, where it says you are clean. Uh, you know, we, we, we get the word cathartic from the, the Greek word there. And, and it's a, a cleansing. You've been cleansed in that way. All right. And then uh, all these lead to a bearing of fruit. Verse 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him... He it is that bears much fruit. And then verse 8, it proves our discipleship. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. Now, both of these indicate that uh, one, if one is really connected to the vine, then there will be fruit. It's not there might be fruit. There will be. So what's it look like? Okay, I, I want you to listen very closely to this list. It's not my list, it's from Galatians 5. And I want you to, to ask yourself as I read through this list, or any of these in my life. This is the list of the fruit of the Spirit, love. Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. None of us are all of those. None of us are perfect in any of those. But if you don't see any of that in your life, and, and I mean in, in full dependence upon Christ, not just because you were born a kind person, in full dependence on Christ, if you don't see any growth in that, then in just a moment, I've got to give you a warning that Jesus, Jesus gives from this passage. Now, there's another benefit before we get to that. 
And that is powerful prayer. Verse 7, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Uh, we, we spent a, a great deal of a sermon a couple weeks ago on John 14, 14. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. And we also pointed out the, uh, from 1 John 5 where it says, this is the confidence that we have toward him. If we ask anything according to his will, he hears it. We're not going to rehearse all those things again. Go back and listen to that, that message. But, but here, here's the point. If we're really abiding in him, if we are really walking in, in constant, close communion with him, then we will be asking according to his will more. We will be in his word so much that his word becomes what we are asking and what we are praying. And that's why abiding in him is so important to our prayer. And not just popping in on him and asking what we want for and then going about our business the rest of the time. Now, I I told you there's a warning in here. And it's a warning, as I put in the outline, to pretenders. And I I probably don't even really need to to give what a pretender looks like because you, you, you know if you're one, unless you've totally fooled yourself. You know if you're you're pretending to to be a believer, but down deep, you're not interested in abiding in him. But he gives a caution here because he's so gracious and he's so loving. He he doesn't want that pretender to to be able to fool themselves any longer or to to be able to say, you never told me about that. Here's in his metaphor, here's what he does. It says he takes it away. Verse 2, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Now, how can it be a branch in me if it doesn't bear fruit? That's why I called it pretenders. Because there always have been in the church down through the centuries and until Jesus comes back and completely purifies his church, there have always been pretenders. There have been those that were baptized and those who uh, said they made professions of faith and And maybe they're officers in the church. Maybe they're teachers. Maybe they're pastors. But in their heart of hearts, they're a pretender. And he deals with that. It's not that one can lose their salvation. In fact, look at at verse 6. He says, if anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away like a branch and withers. and And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. That does not teach that we can lose our salvation. He's already made it clear in in John. John 6. This is the will, verse 39, of him who sent me, that I shall lose nothing of all that he's given me, but raise him up in the last day. Jesus isn't going to lose any of his own. John 10, 28. I give them eternal life. They will never perish No one will snatch them out of my hand. And you know what? You can't even snatch yourself out of his hand if you're in his hand. So 
how do we know if we're a pretender? Well, again, back to the lack of fruit, verse 4. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. That's the other side of the positive thinking about uh, uh, fruit proving discipleship. Lack of fruit proves one is not a disciple. Now you might, you might have at, at some point said, well, you know what, I, I prayed the sinner's prayer. That doesn't save you. You know that, right? It's not magic. It's not supernatural. It is often the gateway that God gives to us. For some, it's the anchor that they remember when their eyes were opened and they came to Christ. But that doesn't save you. If you prayed the sinner's prayer and you don't have any fruit and you don't have any desire to know the Lord better or grow in him or be among his people, don't kid yourself. You're in peril. And it's eternal peril. So how do we know? Well, I, I hope you do pray some kind of a prayer of commitment, but, but after that, only time and fruit will prove whether you're really in Christ. And then he goes on and says, verse 5, the last part, apart from me you can do nothing. That doesn't mean that uh, if you aren't a Christ follower, you literally can't do anything. You can do things. You can do some good things. But in terms of eternity and its value, it's worthless. You know what's, what's extremely sobering to me? What I, what I too often have to make sure isn't happening. I could come up here and preach a sermon without Christ. I've been preaching for so many years. I can go through all the mechanics. I can take a passage and I could uh, uh, exegete it and I could outline it and I could write a sermon because I've done those mechanics every week for close to 40 years. I can do that with or without Jesus. But here's the thing. I know that if I do that, it will be worth nothing. Nothing. And you know what? We at St. Andrews, there's a lot of things we can do without Jesus because you're a great group of people and we've got great ministries in place and, and all of that. But always, we've got to know that at the very center of what we do must be abiding in Christ or it's worth nothing at all. Ryle said to abide in Christ means to keep up a habit of constant close communion with him. 
to be always leaning on him, resting on him, pouring out our hearts to him and using him as our fountain of life and strength, as our chief companion and best friend. You've probably heard the story somewhere along the way of the, the man who joined the church and then, then never came back to church again. And, uh, but he was, he was at some church picnic and they were uh, grilling out and you know, having a big time. And so the pastor, as, and pastors, they're so nosy, they tend to do this. So, so the pastor went over to him and said, boy, you know, we've been missing you. And he said, well, you know what? I figured out that I can be a Christian and I don't have to be among God's people. I can do that. And the pastor said, yeah, I, I hear what you're saying. I, I understand what you're saying. And, and while they were talking, the pastor went over to the, the grill and, and he got some tongs and he, he, he got one of the, the coals out of there that, that was white hot and he just kind of put it off to the side and they kept chit-chatting and, and so on. And then after a few minutes, the pastor said, you see what happened to that coal there? It's cold. It's no longer useful for what it was made to be. When it was white hot, when it was with all the other coals, it was useful for what it was created to be, but now it's not. That's what happens when we move away from Christ and his people. Well, it's easy at first. I mean, it's harder at, at first, but then it gets easier. And then the longer we're away, the cooler we'll grow till we're no longer useful for him. If that describes you, I, I don't want you to be discouraged with that. I want you to take heart because you don't have to stay there. Abide in him. And he will abide in you that you might bear much fruit. Let's bow together. Lord, we would um, simply ask that you would draw us to yourself. If we've grown cold, will you warm our hearts in you? Thank you for your great love for us. Thank you for how you minister to troubled and needy hearts. Help us to see our need for you. And we pray it in Christ's name. Amen.